Welcome to the Singapore Management University podcast series, which features the latest insights and perspectives from our faculty. The way in which companies disclose information to outside investors and the market influences how these companies are perceived and the ways in which they operate financially. One form of voluntary corporate disclosure is earnings guidance, a practice by which companies provide earnings forecasts to guide investors and stock market analysts. Companies in the United States have a long tradition of sharing such predictions. Such mature disclosure culture is the result of a very developed capital market due to a dense analyst population in Wall Street that's constantly demanding information from publicly listed companies. In recent years, Asian economies have undertaken significant reforms through more rigorous disclosure rules and increasingly, firms are recognizing that timely and reliable disclosure is both necessary and desirable. This, in part, could be attributed to the ever-increasing trend towards the international harmonization of accounting standards, specifically the widespread acceptance of the International Financial Reporting Standards, or IFRS, issued by the International Accounting Standards Board. In this podcast, SMU Assistant Professor of Accounting Holly Young talks about her research, which explores the mechanisms of voluntary disclosures and why she thinks there will be an eventual rise in such disclosures, particularly in the sharing of information, such as forecasts and predictions. Professor, voluntary disclosure is one of two important channels of corporate disclosure by which managers communicate private information with capital markets, the other channel being mandatory financial reporting. Before we go further, why is corporate disclosure important? Corporate disclosure is important because it can help to reduce or mitigate information and agency problems, which should lead to more efficient capital allocation in the economy. Uh, Therefore, this is an issue that's important not just to corporate managers, but also regulators and other participants in capital markets. Now, I understand that your research expertise includes examining why firms around the world started providing more voluntary disclosures after the adoption of the International Financial Reporting Standards. Could you share with me some of your findings? Yes, IFRS is mandatory um, in the EU and in Singapore is also mandatory since 2003. In my study with Shili at Temple University, the fundamental question we wanted to ask is how changes in mandatory reporting, uh, namely the adoption of IFRS, can affect firms' voluntary disclosures. Uh, the adoption of IFRS by the EU in 2005 and other countries over the last few years has been one of the biggest developments in financial reporting. And these studies generally show that it leads to an improvement in accounting quality. Now, firms that adopt IFRS also attract more foreign analysts following and institutional investors because the financial statements are now more comparable. Now, what we find in our study was that as a consequence, it also leads to firms providing more voluntary disclosures in the form of earnings guidance. So in other words, the demand for greater transparency by analysts and institutional investors also affected firms' decisions to provide more forward-looking information. So um, the fact that they're willing to provide uh, these forward-looking metrics is interesting. Providing voluntary disclosures has uh, certain benefits like uh, reducing the firm's cost of capital um, and greater transparency. And um, when you have more um, demand for it by whether it's uh, investors or analyst followings, then firms uh, generally will provide uh, these forecasts in order to obtain those benefits. But how do managers make strategic decisions to disclose information that would benefit their companies? What kind of factors are taken into consideration? 
Yeah, so this is an interesting question that we as academics would love to know the answer to uh, because disclosure has um, all of these benefits, uh, yet we don't see full disclosure. And um, I can tell you that in theory, uh, the factors or costs that we believe firms often take into consideration before making a disclosure uh, typically include the costs of uh, revealing private information to existing competitors or potential market entrants. Uh, for example, Apple is known to be very secretive uh, to the extent that they frown upon employees having their own blogs. And part of that is to make sure uh, that they maintain their competitive advantage because information about technology and innovations is very valuable. Um, also, another cost uh, that firms often consider is the cost of uh, in obtaining that information and being consistent with their disclosures because once you set a precedent for uh, providing a certain type of disclosure, it's expected that you provide it on a regular basis by external parties. Bigger organization firms um, that are bigger <laughs> uh, certainly are more likely uh, to provide these um, uh, forward-looking disclosures because they have the resources um, to obtain <laughs> this information and most likely the firms internally already have um, these um, these metrics that they set for budgeting purposes. How have changes in technology and the media affected corporate disclosure? Um, so this is one of the exciting and emerging areas of accounting research and I think to answer that question, it's important to go back to the three fundamental questions that we often think about with respect to any type of disclosure, um, which is uh, what do firms disclose, how they disclose it, and why. So um, in terms of the information content, uh, I don't think that's changed much uh, despite the changes in technology. But how firms disclose um, have definitely changed significantly because the timeliness of information and the intended audience has changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. So now when you go to a company's website, it's inevitable that there has to be a link to Facebook, Twitter, uh, Pinterest. I can't name them all. Yeah. Um, but the rise of social media gives firms the opportunity to reach out to a larger group of stakeholders in a timelier manner. And then finally, uh, why do firms do so? Um, there's some belief that having an active social media presence is beneficial, especially since this is how the new generation interacts and communicates with each other. Can you give us real-world examples of how data from communication platforms, such as those you've mentioned, can influence disclosures? Yeah, so um, firms definitely have to be much more responsive and prompt in how they react. And uh, one example would be there's research uh, that's shown that firms can use social media to manage product recalls. So uh, what these studies find is that the number of negative tweets or Facebook posts um, definitely has uh, a negative impact on the firm, but the firm can counter um, that by also responding immediately and promptly to these users. And I think more recent example uh, would be Volkswagen and their uh, diesel emission scandal. So what these uh, big data analytic agencies find is that about 25% of the conversations um, on Volkswagen centered around the uh, emission scandal once the rumor uh, broke out on September 18th. And this was even before they admitted the fraud. So uh, this is important because it suggests that um, even just rumors um, on these social media platforms can have uh, a huge uh, impact on the firm's value through dissemination. What are some disclosure issues that are unique to Singapore or the region? 
So uh, Singapore as a country ranks very high uh, in worldwide rankings on perceptions of corruption and transparency. And even within Singapore, um, the Governance and Transparency Index shows that disclosures for scores for Singapore listed companies have improved each year since the index was launched in 2009. Um, but one of the more pressing issues is the full convergence of IFRS in 2018. And this development will certainly be beneficial in the long run, uh, but the transition has to be carefully planned at the management level because companies will have to comply with what we call IFRS 1, um, which um, is a standard that sets out the procedures that first time um, IFRS adopters will have to comply with. So this is going to have an impact on the firm's internal reporting as well. So in other words, um, it will be critical for companies to engage in detailed planning with the auditors and professionals that are specialized in IFRS conversion. So it'll definitely be um, a good thing in the long run. Uh, it's more the transition um, initially uh, will be something that has to be very well planned out. Share with us the research you're currently working on. So right now I'm working on another project related to IFRS, and uh, it relates to how um, the adoption of IFRS affects firms' uh, incentives to uh, window dress um, their patenting activities. So what we find is that firms, um, knowing that um, they will have to adopt IFRS, which will attract a lot of uh, analysts following and a lot of uh, external um, capital market participants, um, they tend to rush file their patents uh, to make their um, financials look better and make them look more attractive to um, potential investors. So in other words, um, there's a notion that the adoption of IFRS has a lot of positive benefits, um, but we show that it also alters firms' disclosure incentives in a way that's uh, somewhat myopic in the short run. Thank you, Professor. Thank you.